It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday march 25th 2010 we're live and we're ready to go. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Dad, good to be back with you tonight. Jacob, it's great to have you back in the driver's seat over there. Well, we got by last week without you, but we had a few technical glitches. But we're glad to have you back and looking forward to our Bible study tonight with our inter- Internet study group on the virtual Bible study. And we are glad that you're at your computer tonight and you're listening to us. And we look forward to you joining in the discussion. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com to participate or give us a call toll-free, 877-381-4567, or join in the chat room with other listeners. Go to our show page and uh, join in the chat with other listeners. Well, we've got an interesting topic uh, of discussion tonight and an important one. Jacob, uh, we thought we might spend some time tonight talking about music and worship to God, but a little bit different than we've discussed in the past. In the past, Jacob, we've talked about well, we like, what we believe the Bible definitely teaches, and that is that our, our music and worship to God should be a cappella, singing only, without musical accompaniment, because we believe that's what the New Testament authorizes. We, t- we want to talk about that just so, sort of by way of review here in just a minute. But our main focus of our program tonight wants to be, we want it to be about our singing, about congregational singing, because we think that's what the Bible teaches we should be doing when we worship God. We should be having congregational type singing. We want to talk about the basis for that in Scripture. And then a a big part of what we want to do is to get our listeners involved talking about how we can improve our singing, what are some of the reasons why our singing sometimes is not as good as it ought to be, and how we can improve it. Because i got to tell you, there's a lot of congregations around in which their own members would say, our singing is not any good. And if you were to go there, you'd come away saying, that singing is not any good. And when when we're serving God... When we're worshiping him, when we're extending praise and glory and honor honor to his name, we ought to want to do it as good as we possibly can. And therefore, it would be, I think, a worthy thing to discuss our congregational singing and and, uh, talk about some ways we can improve it. Four questions for the listeners tonight. Okay, our questions that we sent out earlier to our update list, and we we haven't reminded everybody about this too much lately. We'll we'll do it right now. On Thursday, during the day, we send out an an email to those who are on our email list telling what our program is going to be about that night, what our theme, our topic is going to be, and asking for uh, input. In fact, we, we hope people will start giving us input immediately, not necessarily waiting for the start of the program, because we try to work these emails in as, as we receive them. Uh, so if you want to be on our update list and if you want to get those uh, regular updates about our program, about our topics, uh, you can go to... Uh, just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Did you, by the way, tell them about our Twitter feed? We we also send out an update on Twitter. That's right. The Twitter feed has been updated for tonight. If you are on Twitter, you can follow us, College V. No, no, VBS Questions. VBS Questions at Twitter. Yeah. VBS. And so uh, join in there, and uh, we look forward to hear you joining there. Yeah, and here's our questions that we sent out today. Number one, what is the basis in Scripture for congregational singing? What about choirs, solos, special performance-type singing groups, and so forth? What about those kind of things? Should it be congregational? Why congregational? Can we or should we or should we not have choirs, solos, special performances, and so forth? Number two, what do you think are some of the causes of poor congregational singing? Number three, what can song leaders do to improve congregational singing? And number four, what can the congregation do to improve congregational singing. So that's what we want to look at tonight. That's the way we're going to go about it. Send your questions to, or your answers to the questions to questions at collegeview.com or send us, or give us a call at 877-381-4567. Join in the chat room with other listeners tonight as we talk about congregational singing on the virtual Bible study. Now, before we get into the discussion, though, we do 
I'm going to make sure that we don't just assume the fact that we should be singing congregationally. Well, we believe the scriptures teach us the important principle that we need to have congregational singing in our worship. There are some people who believe that the Church of Christ does not like music. We love music. We have music in every one of our worship services. We believe God has commanded us to have music, and we believe he's been very specific in the type of music that he wants. Yeah, a lot of times when you're talking to someone, Jacob, and they find out you're a member of the Church of Christ, they'll say, oh, you're the, you're those people that don't believe in music, aren't you? Right. Uh, I mean, we get that fairly often. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That's right. We believe in music. We love music. In worship to God, we believe that it should be a cappella without instrumental accompaniment. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if everybody knows this or not, Jacob, but the word a cappella is from a from from Greek roots. That word, many of our many of our English words come from Greek and or Latin roots, and that one's from a Latin root, a cappella means as in the church or as in the cathedral. And and what what you realize from that is that singing without musical accompaniment was commonplace in the early church. When, that, so, when the language was being formed. When the, when the language was being formed. When that word originated centuries ago, to sing a cappella was to sing without musical accompaniment, was to sing as in the church. And so it's pretty clear that Using instruments of music was not common in the early days of Christianity. I got some quotes that we've used before on the program, but I just think they're really good. Um, Dickinson uh, in Instrumental Music in the Worship, quoted by Curfees, says, We know that instruments performed an important function in the Hebrew temple service and in the ceremonies of the Greeks. At this point, however, a break was made with all previous practice, and although the lyre and flute were sometimes employed by the, Greek, by the Greek converts, as a general rule, the use of instruments in worship were condemned. Many of the early church fathers, thinking of religious song, make no mention of instruments. Others, like Clement of Alexandria and St. Chrysostom, refer to them only to denounce them. Uh, in in a book called The History of the Christian Church, it says simply singing formed an essential part of the Christian worship was in, was in unison and without musical accompaniment. Now, history doesn't prove anything. The historical accounts don't prove anything other than they do validate what we've said the scriptures teach. Exactly right. One other quote that I, I just find very intriguing is from a book by William Posey entitled The Baptist Church in the Lower Mississippi Valley. So now this is a history of Baptist churches in our country, down here in the South. If you were to talk to a Baptist in the South today and say, have they always had instrumental music in Baptist churches? They said, well, of course we've always had it. They don't know their own history. In, in this book, The History of the Baptist Churches in the Lower Mississippi Valley, Posey writes, for years the Baptists fought the introduction of instrumental music into the churches installation of the organ brought serious difficulties in many churches. And so what that's telling you is this is within the last 200 years, probably within the last 150 years, the Baptists had a big fight on their hands when people tried to introduce instrumental music. They finally succeeded, but it caused trouble. All right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. Now, going back in history even farther than that, there was a split in the Catholic Church over the instrument, correct? Uh, exactly. And, uh, right. The Greek Orthodox Church was formed. That's right. Uh, to this day, there's, that is one of the distinctions between Greek Orthodox churches and Roman Catholic churches. Is their difference? Their difference uh, was one of the differences. It wasn't the only one. But but now the, the Greek Orthodox does use instruments, I think, to some extent. But but in their worship services, it's a cappella. So, I mean, this is not, you know, I just really think that a lot of people think this would, this is just a done deal. I mean, you, you, you people who, who don't believe in using instrumental music, you're off base because it's, it's, it was always that way and, and they're wrong. Uh, in the chat room tonight, uh, John in Edmond, uh, uh, Edmond, Oklahoma says that, uh, Charles Spurgeon, a well-known Baptist preacher was opposed to instrumental music. Yeah, I might have a quote from him. Well, here. Mike, uh, who is listening to us in Wilmington, Illinois, follows that uh, comment. He says, he yeah. said, uh, Spurgeon said, I would as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. Yeah, that, that, I love that. I love that quote. And there's another good one from uh, John Wesley, who was, of course, instrumental in uh, establishing the Methodist Church. And this one's well known, too. He said, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. 
So, I mean, famous denominational leaders from centuries ago did not believe in instrumental music. Uh, There's eight eight verses in the New Testament that talk about music. That's right. We've sort of danced around the subject, and we've talked about history. We've talked about what other people thought about it, but the scriptures uh, are the basis for our opposition to it. Yeah, there's eight verses. Every one of them talk about singing. None of them talk about playing. Eight verses that talk about music in the New Testament. And they all talk about singing. No place in the New Testament we see churches or instruction to churches to play an instrument and worship to God. Yeah. Now, the the most common comeback when we make that point is that it, it doesn't say not to, Jacob. They may say, it may say to sing, but it doesn't say not to play the instrument. That's, that's the common argument we get. Well, uh, we understand that when specific instructions are given to us in our everyday lives, uh, what we need to be doing, we don't have any uh, trouble understanding uh, when our boss at work gives us a specific instruction, or when we give our children specific instructions, we don't have any trouble understanding what those mean. But when God gives specific instructions, it seems that we have difficulty understanding what he means. A great old illustration that we've used about that is the idea of ordering something out of a catalog. And so you order one item out of the Sears catalog, for instance, and you wait for it to arrive you know, by UPS. We don't use catalogs anymore. We use websites. Or you, okay, order something from a website. Right. And and instead of just the, the truck driver coming up with the one parcel with your one uh, ordered item, a, a semi-truck backs up in your front yard and starts offloading a whole load of things. And when you object and want to know what's going on, uh, they say, well, uh, you didn't say not to send this stuff. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. We know that if you specified one thing, it means that you did not want anything else. You didn't have to tell everything you didn't want. You, When you specified the one thing you did want, that's what you ordered. That's what you expect to receive. Same with God. When he told us to sing in the New Testament and when he did not mention anything else, he didn't have to. When we have specific authority. We cannot go beyond that to do something not specified. All right. Let's look at some of the verses, again, We uh, that uh, tell us to be singing. Again, specific instructions. Mike in the chat room from Illinois has provided us with 10 verses that uh, discuss music. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, Jesus and his disciples prior to his uh his betrayal and crucifixion, Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, talks about uh, him and his disciples when they had sung a hymn. They went out into the Mount of Olives. Uh, and so we see that Jesus and his disciples were singing a hymn. And then in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, the same account. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, uh, we have an account of singing again. Uh, Acts 16, 25. Uh, talks about Paul and Silas as they're in prison at midnight, that they sing praises unto God. So we see a pattern here. Christ and his disciples are singing praises to God, and uh, Paul and Silas are singing as well. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 9, it says, As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, in verse uh, 15 uh, it tells us about uh, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will sing with the under, uh, pray with the understanding. Also, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. Also, again, we're seeing instructions, we're seeing examples of people worshiping God, singing, not finding a reference to instrumental music yet as we go through the New Testament. The next two are real important ones that we're going to be using in our study tonight. Ephesians 5:19, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And Colossians 3.16, which is a parallel passage, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. All right. Uh, and in Hebrews chapter, we'll talk about those in more, right, a lot right. more as we go on. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. Again, we're seeing specific instructions. We're seeing specific examples of people singing we haven't found any reference. We haven't found even any allusion to first century Christians playing instruments in worship to God. Mike listed Hebrews thirteen fifteen, and that's possibly a verse on singing. I'm not sure it is. It says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I'm not sure that's singing. I could, I could praise him without singing. Uh, I could 
That's true, but it, but it would it could, it could be include. Could it could be include. Right. All right. right. James chapter 5, verse 13 is the last one that we know of and the last one that Mike has listed referencing uh, worship here on earth of God in any musical form. Is James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. And so we have then every verse in the New Testament talks about worshiping God here on this earth. And it references us singing. It has no reference, no instruction, no example, even no allusion to us uh, using instruments in worship to God. And so we conclude that we should not. We have a question in the chat room tonight. What about the Old Testament? Some reference to uh, instruments being used in worship to God. In they the Old did. Testament. They did. We know that they did use instrumental music in the Old Testament. It's not, it's, it's not arguable. That is true. We don't live under the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not our authority for religious practice today. We learn lessons from the Old Testament for sure. But when we're looking for authority for our religious practice today, we go to the New Testament. To prove that that is the case, if we were going to use the Old Testament, we'd still have to be making animal sacrifices. We'd still have to be observing dietary restrictions. We'd still have all kinds of obligations, including limitations as to what we could do on Saturday and the Sabbath day, and so forth. We're not under the Old Testament law. All of that has been nailed to the cross of Jesus, Colossians 2, 14 through 16. Galatians chapter 5, verses 3 through f- uh, three and 4 tell us, uh, uh, verse, begin with verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be cru- uh, circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Paul was talking there about being justified in binding circumcision, but the same principle would be true by being justified in our uh, using instrumental music and in worship to God because we can go back to the Old Testament and see where they did it in the Old Testament. If you're going to go back to the Old Testament for that justification, you're going to be debtor to do it all. You can worship God with your instruments, but you're going to have to also worship him with your sacrifices. You're also going to have to worship him with your feast days and do the whole law. Exactly right. All right. Uh, we're, we're past time for our first break. We're going to grab it real quick, Jacob. Let's do that. And when we get back, let's get to our questions for tonight's study. We're going to talk about congregational singing. Our first segment here, just to sort of review on the idea that we should be singing, that we're not to be playing instruments, but that that's a review of things we've studied in the past. Tonight, we want to talk about congregational uh, singing. First question that we're going to go to when we get back from this break, what's the basis in scripture for congregational singing? And what about choir solos, special performance type singing groups and so forth? All right, we'll go to a break and come back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back. We're talking about congregational singing on the virtual Bible study tonight. And uh, we see, again, we're under the New Testament law today. There has been the death of a testator. That means that uh, there is a new covenant in force. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. We're talking about the New Testament today that has been put in effect by Christ's death. The old has gone away. Romans chapter 7 tells us if we're going to be bound by the Old Testament while following Christ's instructions in the New Testament, we're committing spiritual adultery. You can't do it. You can't have it both ways. And uh, some discussion in the chat room about that tonight. It's very clear from the teachings of the New Testament. Paul deals extensively with it. We are no longer under the Old Testament. Yeah, and we've studied that question before on the virtual Bible study as well. And if, you go, if you're interested in, in pursuing that question a little more, you might want to look in our archives. You could look in the archives under Old Testament. Just go, go to our archive page. Do a control F and a little search window will pop up. It's a standard feature in Windows and you can type in and it will find the words Old Testament and you can listen to our study of that in the past. You can also uh, put in there and ask a question about music or instrumental music. And We've had more than one program on that. And past. if you still have questions after listening to that, send those questions to us. We'd love to have a discussion with you. Or if you'd like, we could have you come on and be a guest. 
in a future uh, program. Okay. All right, let's go to this first question. What's the basis of congregational singing? Jacob, I think we've been able to establish clearly from the Scriptures we're supposed to be singing. But what about congregational singing? Why, okay. would, why would we do? Why would we say congregational singing instead of? Because a lot of us are not real musical. You know? mm-hmm. In fact, you and I, Jacob, I, I claim we come from one of the most unmusical families that ever was. We're not great musicians. We're not. We're not really, uh, you know, gifted in music. For people like us, why don't we sit back and let the best singers sit up in front, maybe facing us? You know, make a little stage there and maybe some 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 platforms for that, so that each one can go. You know, have have it so everybody can get their voice projected out there and. We'll have a choir. That's what oh, we'll have a, a choir. That a sounds choir. like I was thinking that sounded like a choir. Yeah, why don't we have a choir where the best singers, we'll pick them out. In fact, we can even sort of have tryouts. And if you qualify as one of the best singers mm. in the group, we'll put you up there in front. We'll let you do the singing. And we'll practice on Saturday night right before Sunday so that we sound really good. Well, we probably well, won't because we yeah, probably right. won't. We, we won't would. get selected. Okay. But, uh, what about that? Or, well, or and uh, what that used to be popular, but I think now it's uh, more popular to have solos, perhaps. Solos or quartets or now now I'm hearing more of this expression performance worship. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're going to have somebody do a performance during our worship, and we're going to listen, and they're going to sing. It's singing, and if you're going to be a stickler about not using instruments, we'll make the performance group be a cappella. Mm-hmm. They can't use their guitars and stuff. Barbershop quartet, maybe. Well, but, you know, they have these groups that are a cappella, and they almost sound like they got instrumental music with them. You know, there is a group called a cappella, mm-hmm. but they almost sound like they're, I mean, they're singing. They're doing it all with their mouth, but they make it sound like instruments okay. almost. What about that? Why would we not have that? Why are we saying congregational singing? Got an, We put that question out there to update the list, and we've got a couple of emails back. Uh, Anthony in, here in Columbia writes, Really, the basis for Christian congregational singing rests in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Here, the singing is one to another and therefore is congregational in nature. Interestingly, it appears that in Old Testament times there were designated singers, as in 1 Chronicles 15.16. But for us to do so today would go against the teaching of the New Testament. If only some were singing and others were simply listening, then we're not fulfilling the command of Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. The singing we do is not for entertainment as choirs, solos, and such things are. I think Anthony has nailed it. Notice in those two verses that we said were going to be key verses in our study tonight, Jacob. Colossians 3.16 says we are to be teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Who gets to do that? So, well, if we're going to do it to one another, then that's reciprocal. I teach you, you teach me. It cannot be that some are singing, therefore they're doing the teachings, but the rest of us are just listening. They're teaching us, but we're not teaching them. We're not teaching one another if they're just some singing and others listening. And so I think Anthony's on track. The, 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 the principal verses there teach congregational singing because it requires reciprocal action, concurrent teaching and admonishing of one another. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room tonight. Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee writes, the basis for congregational singing is found in Ephesians 5.19 where it tells us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. We cannot all participate in singing and making melody if it is left to a select few or a single person. There's no New Testament authority for choirs or solos, and we show our lack of respect for God's silence when we decide this type of singing is acceptable to God. We should also mention the dangers that churches get into when they allow choirs or soloists to do their singing. I've known of people who were deeply hurt and offended because they were not selected for the choir or selected to perform the solo. This only breeds pride and a feeling of superiority. I've heard people say, oh, I sing solos in my church. Well, God would be the center of God should be at the center of our worship, not us. I understand that abuse of a situation does not necessarily mean the situation itself is wrong, but choirs and solos are ripe for problems. God's way was and is always the best. I think you're right, Jack. Well, I that's agree true. With you. That's true. Uh, certainly, it seems that when that uh, when choirs and solos are put in or uh, small groups, it changes the worship from being focused on God to being focused on me and what the uh, the worship does for me. 
and focuses it on uh, the adoration and the praise of those who are yeah. performing. And, and is, is, is our worship for our entertainment, for our pleasure, or is it to serve God and do his will, to exactly. honor and glorify him? Well, it seems like in our society today that worship's all about me. Yeah. And it's about the experience. John in Oklahoma says that people in uh, – there's some congregations out in Oklahoma City who have changed uh, the worship time to the experience time and it's it's all about what it does for me not, yeah. i don't care what god wants i want i want to know what i want exactly right jack sends a follow-up quotation from lyman coleman I wonder if there's any kin of his lyman coleman a presbyterian primitive church uh i guess the name of the book is primitive church and he quotes pages 376 and 377 he says the tendency of this instrumental music was to secularize the music of the church and to encourage singing by a choir Such musical accompaniments were gradually introduced, but they can hardly be assigned to a period earlier than the 5th and 6th centuries. Organs were unknown in church until 8th or 9th century. Previous to this, they had their place in the theater rather than in the church. They were never regarded with favor in the Eastern Church and were vehemently opposed in many places in the West. So that's back to the instrumental music question. Thank you, Jack, for sending that in. Thank you, Jack. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight as we talk about congregational singing. All right. So I I think both of our emails there and several of the things that are being discussed in the chat room, I think have have nailed down that first question. Uh, Again, a lot of people, Jacob, would go to the idea that this this is acceptable. How could you possibly question the use of instruments or the 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 use of having choirs and solos and groups singing. But I'm telling you, if you go back to the Word of God and if you just take the very straightforward statements that are found there, that to me is not a hard question to answer. No, not at all. If if we're interested in pleasing God. It gets it gets hairy, it gets difficult to understand if I'm interested in what I like, what my preference is. Yeah. But if I'm strict, strictly interested in doing what God wants me to do, I read the instructions, I do the instructions, and the, the, the case is closed. Exactly right. All right. A couple of interesting quote here. Uh, Ghostwriter in the chat room says, my friend plays guitar in his praise band. See, there's that the idea of praise band or performance. Uh, he says it's, it, 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 it is his relationship with God. In other words, his relationship with God is centered on being able to use that guitar in that praise group. If he becomes... Uh, if he becomes paralyzed and can no longer play, his relationship with God is terminated. Uh, maybe so. If he, if his whole relationship is based on being able to play that guitar, then first of all, it's not the relationship that's described in the Word of God. He's got he's got something phony going on there. Uh, how would he know that his relationship? How would he know anything at all about how God regards him with that guitar when it's complete? God is completely silent about that in the New Testament. So whatever his relationship is, it's something a figment of his imagination. It's not based upon the truth of Scripture. And as Ghostwriter says, what if he couldn't play anymore? Does that mean his relationship is now terminated? Interesting thought. All right. We have a, chat, a comment in the chat room. Choir, soloist, etc. can be used, if not abused, by overuse and the performance sin. Again, we go back to first, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, where it tells us to... Teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You can't do that if it's just one person singing. That's right. Uh, It's not in the Scripture. If we're going to have our worship based upon Scripture, then we're going to have to say those things are not authorized. We can't find it. And let's just ask the question for those, and there are some in the chat room tonight who are proposing that we worship God with instruments, that we worship God with solos, with choirs, with quartets. The question is, if you want to believe that, how do you know that God likes it? How do you know that God, when he listens to your instrumental worship, when he listens to your choir, when he listens to your soloist, how do you know that he likes it? How do you know that he's pleased? If you can show us that you know that God is pleased, we will be happy to accept it. We need authority. We need a, but what, you're, what you're saying there, Jacob, is we need authority. You can't just say it's good. How could it be bad? It seems so right. How could it be wrong? You know, I don't come over to your house on Saturday and paint the walls of your house whatever color I want. I would never come to your house and just start painting the house and say, you know, I like his house would look a lot better if it was red instead of brown. The door, if the or the trim around the windows wasn't white, it was black. It would look so much better to me. 
That's what I want. I like it. When I look at that house, it makes me happy. I would never do that without consulting with you first. Right, exactly. Yet we come to God's house to worship him, and we choose whatever we want without consulting him. It seems yeah. to be a disconnect. That's right. To, to the quote in the chat room, which said that it's okay, uh, the, the quote, w- one person, uh, and we're glad you're there in the chat room, by the way, and stay in there. Don't, don't let, don't, don't be discouraged. We're, we're, we're discussing this thing through. But the quote was, uh, choir soloist, et cetera, can be used if not abused by overuse and the, and the performance in. Well, that's, that's, uh, a statement without uh, scriptural basis. If you can put a verse at the end of that statement, say, and this verse shows that it's so, then then we'd be glad to dis- we'd be glad to go with it. But several others have responded in the chat room. Where's the authority for choirs? Where's the authority for solos? We got to have respect for God's word. So you can't just say it's okay. You got to show from scriptures that it. And is. we're glad that there are di- differing views tonight that we can discuss and we can. Uh, we can bounce these ideas off of each other so we can come to a better understanding of what God wants from us because that's why we're here and that's what we're interested in is knowing what God wants from us. And so we are glad that there are others who are presenting different views so that we can consider those views and make sure that we have a correct understanding and we want to do this in a friendly way. And so in the chat room, we encourage everyone who's commenting there to keep a friendly tone and uh, we'll try to do the same. If you'd like to talk with us in person, we'd love for you to call 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. We're going to take a break, and we're going to get this week's bullet point. During that bullet point, why not call and get on the line? We can go to your call on the other side of the bullet point. Again, we'll keep the discussion friendly. We'll be very polite. If you disagree with us, we'd especially love to hear from you. Give us a call, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It happened again just the other day. Someone called me a Pharisee. Do you know why I was so accused? It was because I was stressing the importance of Bible authority. I was condemning any practice that could not be justified by thus saith the Lord. And I was demanding book, chapter, and verse for all that we do in service to God. And so I was called a Pharisee. But wait a minute. What was wrong with the Pharisees anyway? Well, truthfully, the list is pretty long. Jesus enumerated their sins in Matthew chapter 23. For instance, he said in verses 3 and 4 that they would not do what they taught others to do. In verses 5 and 6, he said they did their religious works to be seen of men. In verse 14, he said they were guilty of even embezzling widows' money. In verses 16 through 22, Jesus spelled out how they were so blatant in their violation of promises. And in verse 23, Jesus said they were merciless. In fact, he said they were guilty of giving the appearance of being devout, but their hearts were full of hypocrisy and iniquity, verses 25 through 28. Obviously, there was a lot wrong with the Pharisees. But what about their insistence on a careful observance of the law? Was that wrong? Did Jesus rebuke them for stressing, at least in their teaching, if not in their practice, that the commands of God must be meticulously obeyed? The answer is no. In fact, Jesus said concerning them, quote, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, verse 3 of Matthew 23. And concerning their practice of tithing, even their garden herbs, Jesus said, these ye ought to have done, in verse 23. Are we wrong when we demand Bible authority for all we do? The answer is no, according to Colossians 3, verse 17. And that's one area where the Pharisees weren't wrong either. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. All right, in the chat room tonight, there's been a question about uh, congregational singing and wanting an example of congregational singing in the New Testament. Well, 
One answer was that we have an ex- a command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Do we have any examples of congregational singing in the New Testament? I think we would in Acts chapter 16. We talked about Paul and Silas in prison there. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 16 that the, the congregation consisted of Paul and Silas, and they were both singing praises to God. Well, they might, someone might quibble with that, but, I mean, all the Christians present were singing. Okay. I mean, you could say that, right? All right. And, uh, uh, but we have the command, as you said, in yeah. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're to speak and teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so if it's, uh, if it's not a one another kind of thing, if it's just a, a, a soloist, then the soloist is teaching me, but I'm not teaching the soloist. You know, if I was going to look for a biblical example of it, I might go back to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. In, in that assembly, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, you notice there in Matthew 26, verse 30, when that when that group was assembled together, the last thing they did before they broke up, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn. Yeah. Okay. So that's 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 a congregational activity, it seems like. I mean, congregation, depending on how you want to use the word congregation, but it, it seems to me that it, it was. So I, I would probably hinge my argument on the reciprocal nature of the command, especially in Colossians 3.16, and... Maybe go to that example in Matthew 26, verse 30. Now, we got an email from Al. Our good friend Al down in Florida writes, Colossians 3.17 comes right after Colossians 3.16. And so let's read that. Colossians 3.16 is the verse we've been referencing tonight where it says that we're to be speaking to... I'm going to read it exactly. I don't want to... Colossians chapter... 3.16. Okay, go ahead. 3.16 says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, notice it says whatsoever you do in word or deed. And Al says whatsoever certainly includes music and worship, choirs, solos, quartets. Christ's doctrine is the final word. So I think Al's point is well, well made. The verse before says we're supposed to be singing to one another, uh, teaching and admonishing one another. And, so, and then the very next verse says, whatever you do, make sure you have the authority of Christ for doing it. And so we are we are doing the right thing to say, where is the authority for quartets or choirs or, or performance groups? It's not there. All right. Someone comes wants to come in and say, I want to introduce the flying trapeze in the worship service. Can we have the flying trapeze in our worship service on Sunday morning? You would say, no, you cannot, because Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says we've got to do all that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus or by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He has not commanded us to have a flying trapeze in our worship service on Sunday morning. And that is not too far from what people are doing in their worship services, by the way. Uh, Uh, Indoor fireworks. Indoor fireworks in Nashville on the 4th of July. Uh, All kinds of ridiculous stuff. And if we do not have authority for it, then we've got to open the door and we've got to say, okay, when they want to bring the flying trapeze into our worship service, we will have no ground to stand on unless we say that we've got to have authority for all that we do. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, uh, again, I, I, I didn't know we would generate quite that much discussion on the on the concept of congregational singing. It, is, it either is or is not authorized. I don't think anybody who's objecting in the chat room says it's wrong to sing. No, with the whole congregation. Nobody can. It's very clear. Yeah. Uh, our question is, other than that, what else is authorized in the New Testament? You can't come up with any authority. So I'm, I'm surprised that we've generated that much talk about that. That's fine. That's good. Uh, but let's go, before we run out of time, let's go, Jacob, quickly to the questions that we ask. What would be some of the things that we could do? to improve our singing what what are some of the reasons for bad congregation? i think the first question i ask is what are some of the things that are reasons for bad congregational singing uh i, I got there was a, somebody quoted a blog a guy named ray pritchard who is a denominationalist i'm i'm sure he visits many denominational churches he found that the congregational singing was bad and he offered reasons why he said, now this this comes from a person who 
plays an instrumental music, I think, pretty clearly. But he said the song leader chooses songs no one knows. Style issues confuse people. In other words, traditional versus some of this contemporary stuff. Architecture is not always conducive to singing. In other words, poor sound quality and acoustics in a building. Not enough people, maybe 70 people in a building that was designed to hold 500. Too many new songs presented too fast. In other words, trying to bring in new songs that people don't know well. Wooden worship leader. In other words, the worship, the song leader, we would say, is lacks enthusiasm for his job. Musical instruments so loud that singing is overpowered. Obviously, he believes in musical instruments, but and, and so we can kind of write that out as something we're not too worried about because we're not going to have them anyway. Songs with little sense of order or progression or theme. Some congregations do not expect members to sing. Choirs and orchestras do the singing for them. We just talked about that. Lack of spiritual zeal. Preachers and other leaders don't sing. Entertainment culture expects us to, to be entertained. And we have lost the theological truth that God is to be praised in the singing of his people. Now, that's from a denominationalist who believes in instrumental music, but he sees that I think he sees that even the instrumental music sometimes contributes to poor singing. Um, so that's interesting, I think, at, at, at that. Let me read. Your, quick. your question was, what can we do to make it better? Well, let me read a couple more responses as oh, to what, possible. What, yeah. what's bad. I, I'm, I'm going to read. Causes. I'm going to read Jack's comments. You might want to read Anthony's. There. Okay. Jack says, when people don't pay attention to what they're singing, number one, songs that are not understood, maybe too old, or use words that we don't know or understand, songs that are sung so slowly that they just drag along. Songs that are sung too fast can also be a distraction. I, I agree with all those. Okay. Anthony in Columbia says that the uh, improper attitude on the personal level, if my heart is not in it, I can't do my best and certainly can't gain anything from the singing. Pride and lack of concern for others. It is not uncommon to have a few individuals singing so loudly that we have to wonder if pride is a motivation. If not pride, then at least they are showing a lack of concern for others. When they are belting out the notes uh, far and above the vo- a volume level of everyone else, People are discouraged because they can't keep up and they can't hear themselves at that. We should be trying to blend our voices with everyone else, not attempting to stand out and be heard. Lack of attention to the song leader. In my estimation, this is the biggest source of problems. The most common manifestation of this is the tempo of the song. Congregants do not follow the pace that the song leader is giving them, and the singing slows to a crawl. Members of the congregation should be keeping pace with the song leader, not taking over the duties from him. Inappropriate song selection is another thing that Anthony uh, suggests. Song leaders need to be mindful of the words, tempo, and overall feel of the song before they choose to lead it. Certain parts of the worship service call for certain types of songs. Ineffective song leaders is another point that Anthony makes. This is probably the second most common cause of problems. We need to be honest. Not everyone is capable of leading singing, just like not everyone is capable of preaching or teaching. We probably all know congregations whose singing is just atrocious because an incompetent song leader has become entrenched as the primary song leader. I'm not sure the best way to what the best way to deal with this is, but the situation completely ruins the worship for everyone. And uh, people are not able to have the proper attitude and can't focus on the true purpose of the singing. We need to be more, have a more serious approach to song leading and choose only competent song leaders. Elders should get involved as needed. All right. I think Anthony has done a, 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 a superb analysis there of some of the things that can definitely cause problems. And my guess is if everybody listened carefully to what he was enumerating there, there were probably a lot of amens being announced because – this is the kind of things that he mentions here are that that's not just true of one congregation or just a few, or, you know, just just spotty instances of the kind of thing. It's commonplace in almost every church. At least some of the things he mentioned there are commonplace in almost every church when it comes to their singing. All right. Good comments tonight, Anthony. Certainly some things to consider. Okay, let's take our last break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what can we do to improve? What can song leaders do to improve? What can uh, the people in the congregation do to help make it better. All right. Plenty of time to take your comments over the phone or over email tonight. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Do you remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when Good Brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks? Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? 
Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit us soon. Come and see for yourself. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program, going to the top of the hour. There's been a we've been challenged in the chat room, saying that we're getting silly with our trapeze illustration. That if you don't demand Bible authority for all that you do, then you cannot say anything when somebody brings in the trapeze. Where would you go? How would well, you say we should not have the trapeze artist? Well, if you think the trapeze artist was an extreme illustration. Go back about three or four weeks ago when we interviewed the guy who uses mixed martial arts to attract people to his religious services. I mean... Cage fighting. They get in a cage and they try and beat uh, uh, people to a pulp. By the way, I don't know how many of our listeners or, or viewers saw this. We actually scooped ABC Nightline... They had this guy on their program last night. We had him four weeks ago. They must have been listening to the virtual. They might have, but we scooped them on that. But anyway, you know, they're okay. Maybe we couldn't find somebody who's used a trapeze art. We can get very close. We got mixed martial arts. We've got we've got skydivers. We've got indoor fireworks. I mean, there's all kinds of illustrations. It's not silly. It's what's happening in the religious world. It is what makes me happy. If I like it, it goes. If it makes me have some kind of feeling. And that I think is what God wants me to have. People say it is acceptable. Unless you demand Bible authority for all that you do, you will never, ever be able to draw the line and say we've gone too far. Once you do one thing and you say, okay, I know that I cannot find Bible authority for this, but I'm going to do it anyways, you have just thrown the barn door open and you will have to allow anything that people want to do. Exactly right. I mean, there's no stopping place. If you can have what you want, then you can't say no to what I want. And I'm bringing the trapeze artist. There you go. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. All right. Real quickly, we talk, we asked the question, what can song leaders do to make it better? If our congregational singing is not good, what can song leaders do to make it better? And I think that we have to put a lot on the song leaders, Jacob. The song leaders do set the tone. I mean, that's just that's just the fact of the matter. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and their influence is more than just announcing the number and, and starting the song. And so we need the song leader to have a, a good demeanor. He needs to be enthusiastic about his work. He needs to be prepared for his job. Uh, you know, I, I, it discourages me when I see song leaders who, in the last 30 seconds before they rush up to start the first song, they're fanning through the songbook pick out numbers. Now, obviously, there might be certain circumstances where you weren't even told ahead of time that you were expected to do it. Sure. But in most congregations like the one here, this is announced a month ahead of time. You've got time to prepare and you need to make some preparation. And then I would strongly argue in favor of using songs that are well known, especially during like Sunday morning worship when we have visitors who who are, are seeing what this is all about for the first time. And we sing a bunch of songs we don't know, and, and the singing is just pitifully horrible. I think that that's bad. I think it's clear that people, you know, to some people it seems, and to some song leaders it seems to me that if, if it's a song that we have sung for a long time, therefore we sh- it's bad. We shouldn't sing it anymore. The reason why those songs have been sung for a long time is because they're old favorites. They're well-loved. They They mean a lot to people. And and they understand the words and the message is, is from the heart. I visited somewhere recently where uh, almost every song in the service was a new song, and it was a very difficult song. A lot to of sing. parts and a lot of lot of lot the, of uh, uh, musical technicality yes, to it. Yes, and the, it it broke down to almost a solo. I mean, the congregation was trying to follow the leader, but. It was not an edifying service because it was just so difficult to sing the songs of yeah. Joseph. And that's not to say that there's not a time and a place to try to introduce new songs and try to learn some new songs. I'm not against that. But I but I, I am against the mindset that says that if it's a song that's been sung for a long time, we ought to throw it away. It's no good anymore. Those old songs are, are popular for a reason. They have a meaningful message, and, and people do connect with those old songs all right uh, mike in the chat room says i would say well-known for uh songs should be chosen for sunday but wednesday night we could be working to get out of the 17 and 1800s what do you think no. about that uh, maybe I mean, so I mean, the, 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 
the seven the songs of the 17 and 1800s were new back then and people were learning them so there's nothing wrong with a new song yeah. as long as it is reverent and uh, it is a song that can be sung yeah and i do think it is very damaging to the congregational singing to sing those new songs one right after another nobody knows them and 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 so our singing deteriorates in the process of that. We're never able. I mean, when when I'm when I'm in a congregation and they sing an old song and everybody's able to sing out and and really you can tell that they're focus on the words whether or not where you know not where the music's going to go. Yeah. yeah, and then they sing a new song that nobody knows and and no. I mean, the volume is about. 30% of what it was on the previous song that everybody knew. Nobody can sing. Nobody knows what's going on. We need to learn some new songs. I'm not against that. I'm for that. But that needs to be put in its proper place uh, for sure. Dean adds his thoughts. He says new songs can make you think about what you're actually saying instead of just going through the motions without thinking about what you're actually saying. Well, I saying. agree. That is a problem, Dean. Some of those old songs we've sung so long, we can sing them without even thinking. And if, if we're doing that, that's wrong, too. All right. right. Uh, Mike says so, uh, song needs to be scriptural. What happens when we have a singing service? You have them uh, still singing the old songs rather than learning the new songs. Maybe the place to learn the new songs is the singing service. Maybe so. All right. Maybe so. All right, so there's definitely some things that the song leader can do. I think we got to put a lot of the burden if if our singing is not good, we're gonna we got to put a lot of the burden on the song leader. And we have missed one thing that song leaders need to choose, and and, and I think Mike has commented on it. They need to, we need to choose scriptural songs. Absolutely. Just because a song is in a songbook or a hymnal that you might be using does not mean it is teaching truth. And uh, we need to make sure if we're leading the songs that we understand the responsibility that we have to choose songs that are scriptural. Real quickly, Jack says the song leader can remind us of what we're singing. They should also know the songs themselves so they can lead the songs. I would not wait to practice the song when they're standing before the congregation. In other words, they need to be familiar with their work. Uh, Go ahead with Anthony. All right, Anthony says, and he has some good answers here, choose appropriate songs. I alluded to this earlier. Song leaders need to be mindful of the content, tempo, and mood of the songs and be sure that all these components are appropriate for the situation. Also in the realm of appropriateness is the complexity of the song in regards to the people present. Song leaders should not choose very complex, part-specific songs when only a small group of people is present or when a particular part is not represented in the congregation. Tenor is the most common example. Pitch the songs appropriate. If the song is pitched too slow or too high, the congregation cannot follow properly, and the song is ruined. Pitching songs properly is not always easy. Song leaders need to learn how to pitch songs appropriately if they're going to be leading singing. We really need to be taking novice song leaders aside and teaching them this. Pace the songs appropriately. I touched on this earlier, too, but the pace of the songs can become a major problem. Usually it is the congregation's fault for singing at the pace they choose rather than following the song leader. Other times, the song leader may start with the correct pace, but they allow the congregation to slow them down, or the song leader is simply not loud enough to be heard. Further still, some song leaders invariably sing songs way too slow or way too fast. Too sl- uh, a too slow pace makes the song drag out forever, which causes the congregation to lose focus and interest. A song sung too fast makes it hard for folks to keep up. So this is a, pr- a pretty rare. Usually people don't keep up because they just don't yeah. try or want to. I think the song there, just just before you finish that, I think this, from Anthony's comments, exactly right. Song leaders, you've got to keep the pace up and you've got to keep the pitch up. What always happens is the, the congregation will slow you down and take the pitch down. And it is, in, it is the imperative of song leaders to keep the pitch up and keep the pace up. I, I, I would tell all song leaders, you've got to think about that or it won't happen. All right. Employ the appropriate volume, Anthony says. Song leaders need to sing loud enough to be heard but not too so loud that the congregants can't hear themselves. Inappropriate volume of the song leaders can be a big problem in both directions, too loud or too soft. Avoid distracting body language. This might sound a big, uh, a bit personal, but I honestly think that song leaders need to be mindful of their body language. It is very distracting for a song leader to be bouncing around, making huge swings of his arms uh, or his arm, and swaying back and forth, making odd facial expressions. On the flip side, song leaders should also be careful not to look like they are about to pass out from boredom. Okay. All right. Be clear about which verses are to be sung. Song leaders should v- uh, clearly indicate. Which verses of the song are to be sung after, uh, are sung either before the song or during the song with clear hand signals? Yeah, and I, I wish we had time. We're going to run out of time here pretty fast. I wish we had time to get some input on people, what they think about singing all verses of every song, some verses of some, leaving some verses out. You know, uh, I, I don't think that we should be in a hurry to get done with our worship, but sometimes I think song leaders need to be mindful of the clock. If the service has gone long, for instance, 
for for whatever reason. And then we come to that final song, and the song leader wants to sing six verses of a six-verse song. You know, uh, to me, uh, song leaders should be somewhat sensitive to the the to what else is going on in the worship service as well. All right, Mike in uh, the chat room says he remembers a song leader. It took a bow when he finished leaving. <laughs> Let's not do that. That's a, certainly a way that we can improve our singing. And I've got one that uh, that a song that really bothers me is when the song leader, in the last verse of the song, you've seen this. I think we've all seen it. The song leader, when it gets to the chorus, the song leader begins to flip in his songbook to get ready to lead the next song. He knows where he knows more than anyone else where the next song is located in the book, and yet he just gives up on the song and starts turning to the next song before the song is finished. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is shows is distracting, shows that he is not uh, paying attention to the song he's leading himself. Exactly right. All right, from Indiana, we had a comment. Uh, causes of poor congregational singing are not familiar, people not being familiar with the song song. The song leader does not have the ability to start a song or lead it properly, and the song being sung in the wrong key, which makes the song too high or too low. Absolutely right. Those are problems. Those are uh, that that always happen. And 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 the same uh, Indiana writer says, to be an effective song leader, one must be familiar with the song, have a good enough voice that he does not distract from the song. He sing, uh, for instance, if he sings off key or cannot cannot pronounce the words or not loud enough or too loud. Start with the right key. Do not lead so loudly that they are actually doing a solo and set the right atmosphere to fit the sermon with appropriate songs. I think I agree with all those things. Thank you. All right. To use the vernacular, I don't want to confuse the subject tonight, but let's preach to the choir for a little bit. All right. We're not, we don't believe in choirs, but the whole congregation should be singing. So let's preach to the congregation. What are some things that we can do for as individuals to improve our singing? Uh, Jack had one thought. Learn the new songs realize and realize you're singing to God. If we want to improve the singing, and if new songs are going to be sung, then we put forth some effort to learn them. We, we put a lot on the, the song leaders, but it is our burden to learn some of that, too, and try to do the best we can. We are praising God. All Go right. Ahead. Anthony says, follow the song leader. This seems obvious, but I firmly believe that some folks just want to do things their own way. Uh, the biggest um, problem being that they sing at their own pace and do not follow the song leader. Have the proper attitude. Individuals need to put their heart into the songs and truly try to listen to the words. Be mindful of the volume at which you're singing. I mentioned this earlier. Congregational singing is not an opportunity for you to show off how loudly you can sing. Folks who have experience singing in choirs and other groups know that the object is for the voices to blend. When one person in the group is singing louder than everyone else, it sounds terrible. Not only this, but frankly, it is downright inconsiderate of those around you. If you're singing too loudly, then... Uh, the people around you can't hear themselves sing, and this is very discouraging and upsetting to them. It robs them of the enjoyment of the worship. Okay. Um, uh, imagine, I, I want to go back to what he said about putting your heart into it. Imagine if the whole congregation truly had their heart into it and was singing uh, I, I d- enthusiastically. I just think we've got to pay attention to what we're doing. That, that if you're going to give one rule to the congregation, pay attention, understand what you're doing, think about the words. Real quickly, we got an email from Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee. He says, I disagree with one of your emailers on the idea that only certain men should be used. The purpose of worship is to edify God, and every man that is qualified as a Christian should be allowed to lead if he wishes. Select men in the congregation Select men in the congregation are no better than others. That's almost like choosing a pope to lead the worship. Yes, the man should try, but the congregation should help out if he's off key. I'd rather have loud members in the congregation because it sets the bar for everyone else to step it up, and then we can hear everyone. Some people are silent and do nothing more than lip sync. Well, I agree. We should sing out. Everyone should sing out. I think some can be overpoweringly too loud, which is the problem that Anthony was addressing in that previous email. i got to disagree with you, Keith. I think that not everybody's qualified to be a song leader, and, and people need to be honest enough to know that. You don't have to lead singing to, to worship effectively and to be a faithful Christian. And if that's not my talent, I should not, I should not impose myself into that role where I'm not capable of doing the job well. I should be humble enough to say that is not one of my particular talents, there are others who are a lot better at that than I am, and by letting them lead, we all do better in the praise of God and the uh, and the uh, uh, admonishing of one another. And and I just I just disagree, Keith. I think we should have men who have some skill in that in that area to do that part of the worship. I'd reference Hebrews chapter four verses eleven and twelve. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We all have different talents. Yeah, And uh, just because I'm a male and a Christian does not mean that I am qualified to be a song leader. I do not lead singing if I can help it because I'm not qualified. 
Uh, there are many individuals in the congregation, wherever I am, at whatever time, that are more qualified than I to lead singing, and, I, and therefore I defer uh, to I them. Ju- I just defer to them. I let yeah. them do it, yeah. Right. All right, we're but, out of time. But, uh, you know, if, if we certainly, if someone wants to lead singing, there's a time when the, 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 If, the, if you can. want to be a song leader, apply yourself, learn, and develop the skill. And, and, and most congregations I ever knew, you'll have the chance to do it if you show a, 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 an ability. And it's not a it. performance. We're not wanting to pick the best one so we have a, uh, some kind of performance or that the singing is perfectly correct all the time. We're wanting to have a song leader who can be effective so that we can worship uh, with the correct frame of mind. Exactly right. All right. Well, had a good discussion tonight, a good discussion in the chat room that we missed a lot of, but a lot of, of chatter back and forth. Good emails tonight, a good thing for us to consider as we worship God. Got to worship in, in spirit and truth, and we've got to uh, make sure that we do the best that we can when we do that. Exactly right. Thanks for the discussion tonight. Thanks for everybody who participated. All right. We appreciate you being there. We look forward to you being back this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.